Hi, and welcome to Drafting Compliance. I'm Kane, he's Tom, and we talked with Joe Evangelisto last time about what happens when a 3PAO loses their authorization status. Today, we're talking about the changes in FedRAMP Revision 5. But before we get to that, we're spinning the beer roulette wheel. Remember, I'm apparently going to hate one of the three remaining local beers that a friend of mine in Bellingham bought for us. So what are we drinking today, Tom? We are drinking, it's called Raspberry Juice on Juice. It's a double IPA. It's brewed right in your neighborhood at Structures Brewery. It's just, uh, I drive by them on the, on the way downtown, actually. Very cool can. It's got some, like, uh, cool artwork. Like a, like a snake, snake on there. With a, maybe a, I, it looks like a pineapple to me. So. I don't know. I don't it looks like it's got, got, like, some citrus fruit as well. But it's maybe a raspberry. A it's a raspberry. It says raspberry juice on juice. Yes. And the last raspberry we tried was a sour. This is a double IPA, which would be much more up my alley. So I'm going to crack this beer. All right, well, let's see how this goes. It's, uh, at least it's local, which I like. You know, Tom, we're going to have to get some of your local brews out of... Um, they do make a beer in Iowa, right? Oh, they make really good beer in Iowa. Oh, we're going to have to do that at some I'm point. Enjoying the, I'm enjoying the scent. Oh, look at that color. Mm, well, it's... Oh, it has a color. It's oh, we're into, this, very, we're into this color again. Very hazy. What is the thing with pink beer lately, Tom? Is that like just know. the color of the season? Well... It's uh, obviously we did another raspberry beer here, so you're going to see some of that color. But the color on the camera, I don't think gives this one quite the justice that it deserves. It's more of a it's like kind of brownish grape, grapefruit is what what I'm seeing. Yeah, it's kind of kind of brownish color. pinkish. But yeah, I could I could go with grapefruit color. But again, this is one of those that does not fit in the, the glass no matter what I try. Um, maybe I'll fit what the rest. You, in. What are you smelling there? That's a. Uh, I'm not so you that, said right. this was an IPA, and I can confirm this smells of an IPA because you and I have had enough IPA before for me to know what they <laughs> smell like. Um, it smells delicious, I think is what you're trying I don't, to say. Uh, no, that is not what I'm trying to say, but good good try. Um, I don't smell the raspberry yeah, at all. I don't either, which surprises me a little bit. I mean, there's, I can, there's I can something smell the sour in there. Yep, I can smell a little sour. But, uh, you know, it, it doesn't, uh, there's not a characteristic, um, you know, like citrusy smell or anything like that that you get with normal IPAs. So let's, let's, let's maybe taste it and see what we think. Sure. Hmm. That's unique. So I've never heard the, you use that word before, Tom. No, instead of getting the unique. Uh, the very burst oh, berry flavor that you get on some of our beers. <laughs> You're right. It that is like delayed. sour. It, it is like sour grapefruit right there. It just hit me. I'm getting more of the back end of a, like if you eat a raspberry, there's that front pop of raspberry. That's not this. It's more that subtle back end of the raspberry. Uh, it's a back end of something. We, we can agree on on that point here. This is it's, I think it's this definitely is got that. I'm in, I'm actually enjoying it. This I mean uh, this has the some of the characteristic hoppiness, 
Although it's not overpowering for a double IPA, it's not it's not going to knock you on your socks with the hop. So what makes it a double IPA, Tom? What is a double it's, IPA it's as opposed to a twice. single IPA? Okay, so just doubled the amount of hops. All right, well, the head's gone down. I'm going to try one more sip before we really get into it, just to see if it's like that was just an initial thought. I am actually very much enjoying this. I mean, it's not. Oh. Oh, on back of palate, it's terrible. (laughs) I mean, on the front of my tongue, it's inoffensive, (laughs) but on the back of my tongue, it's just like I don't know why sour citrus. (laughs) I I uh, I really enjoy the front and the back of this. the The front has a very unique raspberry flavor, and I want to make sure we say unique because it's it's not that burst of of berry flavor. It's more that subtleness on the back of it, but it's a lot of it there. You know, Tom, at some point, you and I are going to have to sit down and drink Laphroaig or something similar. Now, Laphroaig is not my favorite, but um, if you think this is unique, Laphroaig will clear a room. All right. It's a scotch, I'm, I'm, coincidentally. I'm cool. It's medicinal. It's, it's good for you, basically, if you survive right. it. Yeah. Um, anyway, we were talking about FedRAMP, and um, having read the FedRAMP Rev5 spreadsheet, and we'll put a link to that in the show notes, um, it mentions a number of changes in the controls across different FedRAMP baselines, like low, moderate, and high. Uh, from your perspective, how significant are these changes? Yeah, the word significant is maybe not the word I would use. So essentially what FedRAMP did was they introduced a new family of controls, so uh-huh. su- uh, supplier um, risk, basically, control set. But then with the remaining controls, they did sort of a, sh- a shell game, which means they moved some controls and collapsed them under a single control. Uh-huh. <clears throat> they moved controls out of one family into another. Um, parts and parameters that are in FedRAMP also moved around, so it created a, a very mixed-up uh, view of of what people had come to to trust with Rev4. It, Rev5 just looks very different because of that. But in terms of significant changes, yeah, there's there's more specificity with Rev5 mm-hmm. than there was over Rev4, but largely all of the same controls still exist. So if you looked at the count, So from my perspective, then, it's, it's significant because, as you said, they played a shell game. And we'll get to the specific control changes in a moment, but you're saying there's not that many like big changes, just structurally things moved around. Yeah, I would say if you're looking for big changes, certainly the supply risk um, mm-hmm. family of controls, that's a, that's a significant change. Um, configuration management had a significant change underneath it. Um, you're now uh, required to use a STIG uh, standard for configuration management, where before you could use a CIS uh, benchmark one. Oh, boy, I remember Stigs. Yikes. That takes yep. me back. And then there's some <clears throat> there's some additional focus on privacy. Those are probably the biggest significant changes there. Well, let's let's get into those in some details cuz like from a from your perspective, what are those key security control differences like in detail that other cloud service providers need to be aware of, uh, particularly when transitioning from Rev4 to Rev5? Yeah, I think folks are going to struggle with the configuration management change. You know, you're talking about a, a fairly significant step up in terms of diligence and focus with a STIG over uh-huh. um, a CIS ben- benchmark. So be prepared for that. Be prepared to um, also sort of b- 
build a Stig Lite configuration management guide where a Stig doesn't exist. They'll allow you to use CIS Benchmark 2, but I think some agencies are going to push for additional changes on top of that. So <clears throat> that's another place where we, we certainly see a difference with Rev5 is, is there is more leeway by agency now with Rev5. Mm, okay. Yeah, something else I was reading in there was there was, to me, it felt like you could tailor your controls a little more. So for, for our audience then, Tom, could you explain how there's that increased focus on customization in FedRAMP uh, Rev5 and how that affects the role of cloud service providers? Yeah, great question. Essentially, when they say customization, what they're doing is they're nodding to the fact that there are agencies that have different needs. So you might have an agency that comes to you and says, yeah, yeah, I know that's what FedRAMP said, but what we really want to see is this level of granularity in that control. That's the customization that's built into Rev5. The other piece that's important to understand is your ongoing annual requirements with your agency. If you mm -hmm. happen to use two agencies, meaning you have an authorization with two, you're going to have to get your annual done with both of them going forward as well. Oh boy, that sounds uh, like twice as much fun then, for the same price or for double the price. Probably double the price. Three PAL. So, oh, certainly, if you if you can, I would I would keep your focus to a single agency where possible. I think that makes a lot of sense. And I want to say, if you're enjoying the show, ring the bell and subscribe to get new episodes, or just search for Drafting Compliance in your pocket in your podcast app to listen along. Though I honestly can't imagine the show is quite the same without seeing Tom's reactions to beer. Speaking of Tom, could you walk me through the significance of the POAM management process in the context of transitioning from Rev4 to Rev5? Yeah, another great question. Po POAM is essentially your tool for the transition. So you're expected to do a gap analysis, which anybody who's going to move from one to the other is going to do. I mean, that's that's sort of 101. But you're going to track those gaps in the POAM, and you're going to give status monthly in your POAM uh, as you, you know, in your continuous monitoring program as to how you're how you're doing on solving those gaps right and again you'll you'll typically have about a year to solve for those gaps yeah i realize we just introduced a term without defining it first so uh poam plans of action and milestones and on on fedramp tom poams are you're allowed to keep them open right this is not analogous to cmmc where there's been that that drive to closure on poams right well there's still a drive to closure the the difference i think is there will be some agency back and forth on POAM items. And so mm -hmm. if you get an agency that is particularly uh, partnership oriented, they may have a different kind of conversation on a POAM item than you might underneath CMMC. But I'd still consider it uh, a, a, a bound start and finish sort of exercise where you're not going to be allowed to just keep something open for eternity. Ah, fantastic. All right. And um, just thinking also of Rev5, are there any provisions that cloud providers might find difficult to meet in the new Rev5 control requirements? Well, other than the STIG <laughs> piece, bless you, other than the Thank STIG you. piece, we, we certainly see the supplier risk uh, family of controls as a significant step up in prescriptiveness. Mm -hmm. So you, you have to understand that um, in anybody who's in information security right now, Kane, they understand that supply chain risk is a major component of your risk um, sort of portfolio. 
I think it would be remiss if people at this point don't understand right. that. Yeah, I, I would I'm pretty be sure the media has been banging on it for about five years now. And some of us were like, yeah, that's that's old news, folks. But um, keep going. But before where you might have been simply checking boxes in terms of mm-hmm. your, your supplier uh, risk uh, program, you're going to have to prove that you're doing that diligence. And so it's, it's going to be a heightened set of controls. And with that comes additional work and you might in your I'm thinking of a, a large enterprise you you're likely going to have to beef up that team all right so a larger focus on hmm, poems a larger focus on stigs a larger focus on supplier risk management I, I think these are all good changes um, something else I was reading Tom was how there's something about the transition plan needs to be revised based on leveraged controls by October 3rd, 2023. So that's this year at the start of spooky season. Can you explain what that entails? Yeah, so there's really two important dates of note. <clears throat> the first has already passed us, September mm-hmm. 1. You had to have an initial plan kind of pulled together. And then they essentially gave you another month to account for what, what they call leverage controls, what you and I might call shared controls. It's, it's those integrated cloud service providers in your environment that also have to make changes. You're, they're essentially giving you that month to read what their plan is. Okay, so that's just an alignment exercise then really with the Correct. remainder of our supply chains. You got it. I'm okay, a little so surprised that they a only give term. you a month. Oh, that's fair. I guess, well, I guess everybody's got all their controls and plans and transition plans done by the start of September. They should be willing to share them. And Okay, yeah, you're right. That is a bit tight. Well, we'll see how that goes, right? Maybe we'll see a pushback on that one. Yeah, I think there is some pushback on that, but so far I've seen no bending on the, on the part of the, of the PMO. So I think the dates are the dates. Fair enough. Well, with that, uh, I've been staring at this. Um, I imagine yours is... Um, Considerably I've already, more uh, empty. I haven't quite poured yeah. all of it in there, but I've I've uh, I've refilled. I'm going to do it one more time. Let me see if I can fill mine in, having got that top eighth of an inch. Oh yes, look, the rest of it goes in there too. That's fantastic. Yeah, you, I'm proud of you, Kane. That's you've taken more of this than uh, I think a lot of the beers that we've we've tried. So I think this is really uh, good. You know, classically, when we get to the end of the show, I usually take a third sniff and a, a sniff and a sip to see if it, the flavor profile has changed, whereas you've been enjoying it throughout. Yeah. Um, you know, the raspberry towards... So we've been recording for a little while here. I can now actually smell raspberry. Mm. It's very faint, but I can smell it. So whatever was on there at the so beginning at least has changed. Yeah, it's it's... Um, and you, here you told me that wines are not supposed, or sorry, beers aren't supposed to be aerated. I guess because they've got bubbles in, um, kind of like prosecco. But how does it taste? <laughs> oh, now, now it's like drinking flat grape juice or grapefruit juice. Oh, <sighs> so <laughs> I'm dying to hear how you rate this one, Kate. <laughs> Well, um, what I'll say is this. If you like flat, stale grapefruit juice, this would be a great beer to start your morning. Uh, Just remember the grapefruit does have some medicinal interactions, so keep that in mind Um, on a scale of 10 points. I'm not going to give it a 2 because 2 seems to be the uh, low watermark for things that I am absolutely like taken aback by, but I am going to give this a very strong 3 out of 10. What about you, Tom? Mm. 
Yeah, I'm, I'm definitely different than you are, Kane. Uh, this has a lot of character, so I like that. It has interesting flavor profiles. You know, when it says raspberry, I think most people will think it's going to taste different than it does. Um, when mm -hmm. you combine the raspberry with double IPA, you get some hop character to, to combine with it. So I think that's a very interesting beer. Um, th the only thing that uh, gives me a little bit of pause on this is I don't have as much of the hop um, that I would expect with a double IPA. So it's pretty tame in terms of hop. So if, if there's IPA drinkers out there that, that like the subtleness of some of the newer IPAs, they'll like this one better. Um, and then you keep mentioning grapefruit. I do get a little bit of grapefruit in this. <clears throat> um, I don't think it's very strong. So I think of my wife makes me take uh, grapefruit seed extract drops when I have a sore throat. Mm. And okay. those are absolutely the worst thing on earth to put in your mouth. So uh, this isn't that at all. This is pretty subtle and it's balanced nicely. So I, I like it. I'm going to give it a seven out of 10. Well, uh, okay, so I gave it a three, you gave it a seven, and Tom, I will challenge you, try oregano oil if you want to try the absolute worst. I've, I've tried that as well. Oh, and you're still saying grapefruit is worse than that. I I've am. not tried the grapefruit. Okay, well, I, um, I can try that. Maybe not on camera, though. But with that, I think we've hit the end of today's episode. So again, thanks to everyone for watching. Please do like and subscribe. And we'll see you next time with another special guest and another unique beer. 